have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to John 14, verses 21 through 29. That is where we are going to land and anchor into. These words here in John 14 were spoken just hours before the greatest event in the world history, the greatest act of love in history, namely the death of the incarnate Son of God in the place of sinners so that everyone who receives him and believes on him will be forgiven all our sins, be accepted as righteous by the creator of the universe into the never-ending joy of eternal life. And what Jesus is saying here assumes that. He is, as he said in John 10, 15, about to lay down his life for the sheep. And his message here to them and to us, these sheep, these 11 precious friends, these apostles, they are very confused, they're fearful, they're in need of much encouragement because of what they're about to face and the loss of Jesus. And that is what Jesus does for them. And not only for them, but for you and for everyone who believes in his name. So his message here to them and to us is that when he dies, he will live again. And he and the Father and the Holy Spirit will come to us. And they'll be with us forever. And never leave us no matter where we are or what is happening to us. And so going to the text, there are at least two observations that we need to see right off the bat. He makes, number one observation, he makes explicit that the gifts he is promising to us here are not given to the world. It's clear from verses 17, if you were just to back up, it wasn't read for us this morning, but Really in the context of John 14, if you look at verse 17, you look at verse 19, look at verse 22, that this gift of intimacy and help and love being promised in these verses is something the world cannot see, does not know, is not given, and does not experience. What's promised here is something that is so personal, so intimate, so reciprocal, Right and relational, that the world cannot receive it. The second observation is that those who do receive this gift, this, this love, are not simply called Christians or believers. This is absolutely crucial that you get this, because this is where we're going for the rest of the morning. They are not called Christians or believers. They are described repeatedly four times as those who love Jesus. Look with me. You see it in verses 15 and 16. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who what? Loves me. Good. So three of you are with me so far. That's great. This is wonderful. Happy Memorial Day weekend. So, we are all maybe somewhere else. Maybe I need to pray again. Verse 23, right? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, good, thank you, he will keep my word, 
My Father will love him. Now out of this comes a question. This question is crucial. Here's the question. What does it really mean to love Jesus? What does it really mean to love Jesus? We live in a very strange culture with a lot of strange thinking. And here's what I mean by that statement. People in general have no problem communicating, saying with their mouth, I love Jesus. But people in general have a problem doing what he says. You've heard it said, oh, he's all talk and what? No action. Or the bark is worse than the bite. You don't want to be a man or a woman whose words are not meant with action. I think Jesus said it best in Matthew 15 and verse 8. These people honor me with their, what? Can you finish it? Lips, their mouth, but their what? Their hearts are far from me. He basically calls them what? They're hypocrites. Right? We can say that we love Jesus, but not really love Jesus. Or we can say that we love Jesus and struggle generally to do what he has taught us, which may be where a lot of us are in here this morning. Or more dangerously, we can say that we love Jesus, do all that he's taught us for all the wrong reasons and not really love Jesus. Right? That's the Pharisees and Sadducees. We can just get legalistic. This is not a legalistic message. It's the rich young ruler, right? Jesus, I have kept all the commandments from a young age. And Jesus turns to him and he says, yes, but one thing you lack. You don't love me. Right? The rich young ruler loved what? He loved his things more than Jesus. So he left. The question is this, what has gone astray when our saying and our doing just simply don't match? And I tell you, it is our definition of what it really means to love Jesus. Jesus tells us four times here in John 14 that this love is of such a nature that it results in the keeping of Jesus' commandments, or more generally, his word. If you love me, right, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So the first thing, this is what I want you to, I want you to get. Write this down or just keep this in your mind because this is critically important. I, I just want you to hear this and then you can tune me out. The first thing to notice is that loving Jesus is not the same as keeping his commandments. Loving Jesus is not the same as keeping his commandments. It proceeds. It gives rise, right? It, keeping the commandments, keeping his word is the result of loving him. Not the same as loving him. 
I, I love him, so I will, I will walk with him. I will do everything with him. So what is this love for Jesus that gives rise to keeping his words? Well, you need to know, and this is critically important, Jesus has no defects. He has no demerit. Therefore, we cannot and dare not love him graciously the way God loves us. We dare not love him with a love that overcomes some fault or ugliness or sin in Jesus to treat him well. That's not the way that we love Jesus, right? And, and we, we may not think that we do this, but we, we may do this, right? A lot of times we come into church and we're just kind of like, you're welcome. Here I am. You're welcome. You're welcome, Jesus. Here I, this, here I am again, right? Jesus' love for Jesus is entirely deserved. He is infinitely worthy of being loved. He is perfectly lovely. He is lovely not in spite of what He is, but because of all that He is. Which means that love for Him is a response of beauty and greatness and glory It's not a response to need or weakness or defect, which also means that love for Jesus is pleasurable. It's desiring Him because He is infinitely desirable. It's admiring Him because He is infinitely admirable. It's treasuring Him because He is infinitely valuable. It's enjoying Him because He is infinitely enjoyable. It's being satisfied with all that He is because He is infinitely satisfying. It's the reflex of the awakened and newborn human soul to all that is true and good and beautiful embodied in Jesus. Loving Jesus is not a matter of doing excellent things. It's a matter of delighting in an excellent Savior. Jesus says, doing excellent things, keeping my word is the result of delighting in the excellent Savior. So the answer to our first, to this question, what does it mean to love Jesus in John 14, is that it means to treasure Him above all others, to desire Him, to long for Him, to enjoy Him, to be satisfied in all that He is. So back to our our problem, right? What if the, the saying and the doing don't match? You need to ask yourself some questions that will help. What am I treasuring above Christ? What do I desire more than Him in my life? What do I long for more than him? What do I enjoy or where where is my satisfaction at? Is it in Christ? Or here's a big one, what am I doing with my time? Where is my time spent in my pursuits of life? Right? It's almost ironic that this this is the message that God has given us on Memorial Day weekend, right? <laughs> when everybody would rather be at the beach than be at church. Loving Jesus. We need help, don't we? Because all of us in here, including myself, have had our affections 
of other things steal our joy, pulling us away from Christ. So two points of application, and then we're done. Here's number one. We must become a people of God that love the Word of God. If I'm going to be a man or a woman speaking the words of God, then I must also live by them. I do this by living on these words and in these words. Right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word. I love Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who who doesn't walk or stand nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of what? The Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And it doesn't stop there, right? He is like a tree planted by streams of living water whose leaf does not wither. In everything that he does, what? He prospers. He's blessed. Why? Because he loves God's Word. And he lives in God's Word. To live by the Word of God, you must know the Word of God. Do you read God's Word? Do you meditate on it as much as possible? Do you read it and teach it to your children? You might say this. Now, I'm a youth minister, right? And so the, the generations that are coming after me, a lot of times I will get this response. Do you think you know what it would be? I hate reading. I hate reading. I don't want to read. I don't like to read. You older generations, you right, when you didn't have electricity and indoor plumbing, you know what that was like. All, all you had was a candle and a book. <laughs> right, 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 Trip. <laughs> John completely understood this. He knew exactly. Father John was with Moses at the parting of the sea. So. <laughs> but this generation that's coming up after us, they just write like black words on little white pages. It's just not for them. And so these next few things I'm going to say is going to be critically important for you if you struggle reading. Here's the second point of application. We must rely on the Holy Spirit to help us. Look at verse 25. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have, what, said to you. You need to drop to your knees this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to fall on you afresh and open your eyes and illumine your eyes to the God of the Bible. You need to say, Lord, I am not coming to this book for quick antidotes or just a quick fix. I am coming to this book because I want to taste and I want to see that the Lord is good. God, I need your help. You've not left me stranded. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can help me today match my saying and match my doing. 
May God bless the proclamation of his word this morning.